Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom. And Griffin, I feel like we got to start by taking a look back at the results from our draft last week because the votes are in and 52.7% of our voters agreed that my team would win our hypothetical game of Buckeyes versus Buckeyes. How do you feel about that, Griffin? I mean, I feel like the margin should have been a little bit closer, if not, you know, me being ahead on the polls. I really thought I was going to get some some sympathy votes there towards the end of the, the poll duration. I thought people would, you know, root for the, the plucky underdog and myself. And even though I did have the first pick, but but in the end, I go down two nothing now to Dan Hope in terms of the, you know, Ohio State team drafts here after doing the basketball one, you know, several months ago. I, I, I got to start uh, reconsidering some of my strategies, perhaps. What were you going to get sympathy votes for? I don't know. I mean, I you got the, so you got the number one pick. You got CJ Stroud. I don't think you needed any sympathy I, votes. I mean, I think it was the fact that I was that I was already down when I, when you were posting the results, and I was like, "All right, let's let's make this closer, guys. Come on, help me out here. Throw me a I vote. mean, I'll be honest with you. Honestly, it was closer than I expected. I I honestly thought that it was going to be a little bit more lopsided in my favor. So, you know, I think you did a good job of selling your team. And certainly I think a lot of that speaks to the respect that Ohio State fans have for CJ Stroud and the fact that, you know, having CJ Stroud on a team is, is going to give that team an advantage over the other. And so I think, you know, from my vantage point, that had a lot to do with a lot of the support that your team received, not to say that you didn't make some other good picks as well, but I think certainly, you know, getting CJ Stroud was going to be an inherent advantage in that draft, but we had a lot of fun with that. Hope that you guys had fun. You listened to the podcast last week and interacting with us and, and, and telling us what we, what we could have done better, what we should have done better. Griffin, what do you think is the biggest, what's the biggest, you you said you got to learn from this. What's the biggest thing you learned from that experience? Probably just to have a more of a fleshed out big board before I go into it. Just as some of the picks, I, I just didn't, I didn't know where I was going with some of them while, while it was happening. You know, the, the Toby Wilson pick, you know, if I, if I could have had one back, perhaps I would reconsider that one, you know, but all in all, I mean, yeah, CJ Stroud and three of Ohio State's actual projected starting offensive linemen. Give me that, you know, over a lot of other things in, in this world when it comes to winning a football game. You know, I, I wasn't too down on my performance there. Well, it's, it's fun, you know, to have these off-season hypotheticals, but we're getting closer to watching actual football games. And, you know, I know I'm getting hungry to, to watch some actual football. And, you know, I'd, after, you know, seven months of off-season speculation at this point, I think we're all getting ready to, you know, actually see this team on the field and, and watch them play some actual games. And, to me, next week always kind of feels like the unofficial kickoff to the preseason because next week is when Ohio State and the other 13 teams around the Big Ten will send their coaches and player representatives to Indianapolis for this year's Big Ten Media Days. Ohio State will meet with the media next Wednesday, which which means that Contrary to the title of our show, next week's episode is going to come to you on Thursday because there wouldn't be much reason for us to record an episode of Real Pod Wednesdays from Big Ten Media Days and do it before we talk to the Ohio State players and and Ryan Day, which certainly is going to give us plenty of material to talk about on next week's show. So we're going to record next week's episode on Wednesday night, and that will come to you next Thursday. So that's your programming note there for next week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. But since Big Ten Media Days will be beginning before next week's episode, we thought we could start previewing Big Ten Media Days now. And we did learn on Monday which players will be representing Ohio State and I know I had had people ask me who they thought would be Ohio State's Big Ten Media Days representatives. And, you know, I I always told them that the three who made the most sense to me 
where C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba and Ronnie Hickman. And so Ohio State agreed with that as they did select those three players to be its representatives for Big Ten Media Days next week. Certainly, if you're going to talk about the faces of this program right now, those are C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba. And so I think there would have been a lot of people who would have been disappointed if Ohio State had not chosen those two guys to go to Indianapolis next week, as they're certainly the players who are going to drum up the most interest from the national media and certainly players who Ohio State has reason to promote as both of them are potential Heisman Trophy candidates, All-American candidates, and guys who realistically, although they're in their third year at Ohio State, are almost certainly playing their final season at Ohio State this year. And so it makes a ton of sense to send those guys I think the defensive selection was a little bit less obvious, but to me, Hickman was the guy who made the most sense because, you know, a lot of times they side toward maybe a guy who's going to be a captain. And I wouldn't be surprised if Ronnie Hickman is a captain, but you know, you look at Zach Harrison, he already went last year. They typically don't send a guy two years in a row to Roger Mitchell was a captain last year, but he's probably not going to be a starter. So they probably weren't going to send a guy who's likely a backup this year. And so to me, when you look at kind of those returning starters, to me, Ronnie Hickman was the guy that made the most sense as a guy who's a, you know, redshirt junior now, fourth year in a program, leading tackler from last season. You know, I think you could probably say, if you're probably going to say the biggest name on Ohio State's defense, you'd probably go with Denzel Burke, but he's going to be back for another year after this year. So He'll probably be in Indianapolis next year. Travion Henderson will probably be in Indianapolis next year too. But to me for this year, those were the three guys that made the most sense. Do you think any differently, Griffin? No, not at all. I think those are three very sensible choices there. Obviously, like you said, on defense, there are other, you know, returning starters and, and veterans and things like that that they could have chosen. But Ronnie Hickman was really on the field, you know, more than, than almost anybody last year for, for the Ohio state defense. So that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, after hearing the the opinion that Jim Knowles and company hold of Ronnie Hickman, it doesn't seem like he'll be coming off of the field, you know, a a whole lot this year, either. If everything goes according to plan for him, you know, CJ Stroud, I I think just in terms of, you know, our jobs and and, and talking to these guys at at these events and everything like that, you know, I I really love talking to CJ Stroud. He's a very, you know, charismatic guy. He doesn't, you know, sometimes he he says things that, uh, you know, maybe he, he or the Ohio state program perhaps have wished that he he maybe shouldn't have said when we get into the whole, like, you know, last year was the, the flu situation with the Michigan game and everything like that. But I think he's a, you know, a, a great decision there, a charismatic guy, Jackson Smith and Jigba, you know, in the past, he, he hasn't always had a ton to say to the media, but I think, you know, coming out off of the Rose Bowl and things like that, he seems to have gotten a little more comfortable in that kind of setting, even just from the whatever, if it was even just one media appearance he had, you know, in, in the spring and everything like that. And then on defense, like I was saying, like, you know, you could, we heard so much about Tommy Eichenberg, for example, and him being like a middle linebacker and everything like that, but they're not going to send Tommy Eichenberg out there. I mean, he, he's said in the past that he, he hates doing those types of, you know, interviews and everything like that. So I think these were the three guys that, like you said, you, you called your shot early on that. And that's, that is who they are ending up sending after all. Yeah. I think if Tommy Eichenberg didn't openly hate talking to the media, that he would have been a, a guy I would have thought of here because I do think he's a guy. When you think about guys who could be captain this year, I would not be surprised one bit if Tommy Eichenberg is a captain based on the way that everybody talked about his leadership. But, you know, he's a guy. You know, the tough Borland comparison almost feels too easy with Tommy Eikenberg sometimes. But in in this case, I think it's very apropos because tough Borland was the same way. Did not particularly enjoy talking to the media, was usually pretty quiet when he was talking to the media. But you could ask anybody in a program and he was this great leader behind the scenes, you know, in the locker room. And they say the same things about Tommy Eikenberg. And so, you know, I think he's a guy that, if he enjoyed talking to the media more, they probably would have considered sending there. But I think Tommy Eichenberg, quite frankly, would have been absolutely miserable if they told him, hey, you have to go do an entire day of media interviews. So, you know, I think these three guys are really good representatives for a program. You know, and I think, you know, to the point you make about Stroud, you know, I, I still see fans who will sometimes say, you know, they don't think Stroud's very good for media. They they think that he should be, you know, 
trained more on that. But I mean, two things. I mean, for one, he's for sure received a ton of media training over the last year because nobody has been in the media spotlight more for Ohio State than he has. And secondly, if they didn't think that CJ Shroud was a good representative of the program, then they wouldn't be sending him to Big Ten Media Days. So just the fact that they're sending him to Big Ten Media Days tells you that you know they're really happy with how CJ Stroud has evolved as a leader and the way that he represents the program. You know, I think, you know, I mean, I was at the, I was at Braxton Miller's camp on Sunday and CJ comes out of the locker room and is immediately swarmed by a horde of children. And, you know, there were, there were, there were, there were some people there, coaches and whatnot, who seemed like they were kind of trying to get him out of that situation. Like, knowing maybe he wouldn't want that, but I was watching CJ and and he signed autographs and took pictures with every single kid that came up to him and, and wanted to meet him. And I think that's something that Ohio state sees and very, very proud of to see him embracing that embracing his position in the spotlight as a role model. And that's something that I think he's done a really good job of. I mean, we saw it at the student appreciation day as well. I mean, we saw the way that he handled the pro day, you know, he seems like now that he has that first year under his belt, he seems like he's gotten much more comfortable with the attention that surrounds him. And obviously that's going to ratchet up again in September. And once the season starts and you start having those ups and downs and then then your character really gets tested. Then your ability to handle that adversity really gets tested. It doesn't really get tested much when everybody's talking about how great you are for eight months. Nevertheless, I think you can see that he has become a lot more comfortable in his own skin and dealing with the immense spotlight that he's under. And I think next week will be a great op- another great opportunity to see how he handles that along with Jackson Smith and Jigba, who, like you said, you know, is not somebody who's necessarily the, you know, the most talkative guy. I mean, he's personality wise to me, he's kind of similar to Chris Olave in the sense of, you know, neither one of those guys is, you know, the most, you know, talkative guy that they're, they're probably more lead by example guys than they are lead vocally kind of guys. But certainly I think Jackson's a guy who, you know, has a ton of respect of everybody in the program of of what he did last year. And I think he's certainly a guy that they're counting on to be a team leader this year in that wide receiver room. And so, you know, I think this will be, you know, again, an opportunity for him to kind of, you know, be in that spotlight and, and, and handle that. And, you know, certainly, you know, again, I mean, I I don't know how you could have gone with anyone other than those two guys, uh, to represent Ohio State's offense, and they always send you know at least one player from both sides of the ball. I think if I had a wish list for one other player we could have gotten, or you know, Michigan and Minnesota are actually sending four players. If Ohio State had done the same, I'd say the guy that I I would have loved to see there would be Dewan Jones because Dewan Jones is a great personality, and I think he would have I think he would have had a lot of fun with some of the wackier stuff the guys get asked to do at Big Ten Media Day. So I'm a little disappointed that we don't get to see Dewan Jones in his hometown of Indianapolis. I think I think Dewan would have really loved having that opportunity to go back to his hometown and to embrace the media spotlight that, you know, maybe offensive linemen don't always get as much as the quarterback or receiver. But at the same time, I think the choices Ohio State made were pretty obvious ones and the right ones. I've heard uh, Dewan Jones has been campaigning to play in the in the Kingdom League basketball tournament. As a matter of fact, that would be fun. Uh, yeah, a, a high school standout basketball player, of course. And but the but the, the coaching staff for Ohio State does not want him to to do that and risk an injury or anything like that. But that would have been a, that would have made for a, an, an an interesting twist on things if Dewan Jones, all three hundred and sixty so or so pounds of him, was playing outside out there. You know, maybe guarding a Jared Sellinger or something like that. That would have been fun to see. But Dan, you know, aside from those three players we just talked about, obviously we will be able to talk to Ryan Day, you know, Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren as well. What are some of the storylines that you are most interested in kind of talking to those guys, you know, and the players, any of those people really about? Obviously, the Big Ten expansion news is going to be one of the main things that's going to be discussed, but, you know, maybe that or anything aside from that as well that is kind of high on your priority list in terms of things you'll be looking to 
ask those guys about? I mean, how can we start anywhere other than expansion? I mean, I don't think there's any question that that's going to be the storyline that dominates Big Ten Media Days next week, starting with that Kevin Warren press conference. And, you know, I mean, that, that's going to be interesting in itself because I think back to last year where Kevin Warren really got eviscerated by the media after his press conference, you know, by us included, where, you know, he, he went up there and I, I believe the quote was something along the lines of saying, I have no regrets about how the Big Ten handled things during the 2020 season, which was obviously a, a big mess with the pandemic and how all that was handled. And, you know, some of that almost feels like distant history now, like that, like to think that was like a year ago that we were having that conversation. Like, I don't know about you, Griff, that to me feels like it was a lot longer ago. No, it does, like, it does. It's just, you know, the way I think with everything that's happened in college football over the last couple of years. And, and I, and I think there's going to be a lot of topics to ask Kevin Warren about. I mean, you got, NIL and and all these different things that are happening in in college sports right now but there's no doubt that most of the questions he gets are going to be about expansion and about the move to bring USC and UCLA into the conference and you know unfortunately Lincoln Riley and and Chip Kelly aren't going to be there for us to interview them USC and UCLA aren't aren't joining the conference yeah, it would be fun if they were in the conference right now and we could talk to them about it. But certainly I think, you know, not just with Kevin Warren, but I think, you know, particularly, you know, the head coaches in the conference as well, they're all going to get questions about that. And certainly we haven't talked to Ryan Day since I don't think he's done any media interviews since that expansion news came out. And so I'll be interested to hear what he has to say about that. Cause you know, he's, he's someone who has, you know, I think every year has gotten more and more comfortable with voicing his opinions on issues around college football. And, you know, he's expressed some concerns over, you know, the past couple of years about changes that are happening in college football. So I'm going to be interested to hear what he thinks about USC and UCLA joining the big 10 and, where he thinks this thing is headed. Yeah. And I, Gene Smith did say that he had talked to Ryan day and Chris Holman, obviously about the, about the expansion and they were both on board and everything like that. But you're absolutely right in terms of Ryan day has, you know, kind of shown some apprehension at times in terms of the, the changes and, and just how hard it is to kind of wrangle all of those things and all the moving parts. I wonder if that's kind of, if this is another thing like that for him, or if it's something he's going to be more on board with the vision for in terms of the, the financial benefits and, you know, the, the high profile nature of the move and the, and the spotlight and the, you know, the, the, what it will do for the big 10 brand and therefore, you know, Ohio state as well in terms of the future of college football. But yeah. And then, you know, just like house, house, you know, important housekeeping things as well for Ohio state in terms of maybe some injury updates for some guys that have, you know, were, were rehabbing or maybe didn't play in the spring game, things like that on on a smaller level of, of just, you know, less uh, national stuff and, and big 10 stuff, but, but Ohio state stuff in particular. And then I think honestly, in terms of like Stroud and, and Smith and Jigba and those guys as well, you know, you have to wonder, you always wonder, you know, with all the praise they've received, especially coming off of the heels of the Rose bowl, there's so much expected of those guys. And so often, you know, there, there's so much expected of guys and then they don't necessarily, they don't quite have that season the next year that, that people were expecting them to have. I wonder, you know, how, how they manage those expectations themselves. And, you know, if, if those guys ever, if, if doubt ever, you know, creeps up in those guys' minds, you know, about like, can I, can I be the same player I was last year and, and, you know, reach the heights that everyone expects me to reach. You know, I think even, even Justin Fields a couple of seasons ago, you know, we saw that he was a guy that was definitely up there in terms of the Heisman trophy and things like that. And then didn't end, didn't go on to become, you know, Heisman trophy finalist in that, in that final season for Ohio state, things like that. Those, those will be some things I'd be interested to know about with those guys in particular. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mentioned, you know, CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba being the face of Ohio state right now, but really, you know, if you look at the, the whole list of players that are going to big 10 media days, I mean, they're the face of the big 10 right now, like they're the two most prominent returning players in the big 10 right now. I think if you, you look at the other teams, there's plenty of good players around the conference, but there's no other name that I look at that jumps out at me the way a CJ Stroud or a Jackson Smith and Jigba does, which means 
you know, they're, they're both going to draw big crowds at Big Ten Media Days. It may give us the opportunity to ask more questions to Ronnie Hickman because there'll probably be a lot more national and Big Ten wide media focusing on Stroud and JSN than there will be on Hickman. But, you know, certainly I think, you know, probably those of us who follow Ohio State closely, you know, to me, I might be as interested in talking to Hickman as I am any of them, because obviously there's so many questions about the defense right now, and and he's going to be the guy representing that side of a ball. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting to hear, you know, what he has to say about that. Certainly what Ryan Day has to say about that as well. You know, I don't, I don't feel like, I feel like there, I feel like most of the loose ends of the off season kind of got tied up before that last time we talked to Ryan day in May. So there's not like as many like hanging storylines going into big 10 media days as there are in past years. Like I feel like a lot of times there's like two or three things out. Like last year, there was like the whole poly and thing. And like, there always seems to be like two or three kind of like lingering mysteries that are out there going into big 10 media days because Typically before Big Ten Media Days, that's really kind of a biggest gap of time all year where Ryan Day doesn't have a press conference because, you know, once he does like his post spring wrap up, if he does one of those, he typically doesn't really do any other media interviews until Big Ten Media Days. So there's always like a two, two and a half month gap there where it's kind of been that until he's talking here. So there's always a lot of stuff, but I don't feel like there's quite as much of that this year. Now I'm sure there will be a few surprise nuggets that come out of next week, but you know, you know, we'll find out, you know, somebody suffered an injury this off season or somebody, you know, isn't with the program anymore. There's usually something like that that kind of comes out of nowhere at big 10 media days. But is there anything else you can think of? that's like something that we need to learn about next week. Yeah. I mean, that's what I, I was thinking the same thing. Like, you know, last year there was a couple of really newsworthy things and we had that kind of breakout session with Ryan day right after his you know press conference at the, at the podium there, the introductory one. And he kind of fired off a few, uh, like several different quick, little uh, quick hitters there. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I don't, I don't think there's, there's all that much. There hasn't been a, a whole lot, you know, going on here, but you know, never say never because the, there could always be something that pops up here within the next week. Yeah, Griffin's suddenly, trying to jinx us here. Yeah, there's something that's happening right now, Dan, right now. But yeah, I mean, yeah, nothing really comes to mind. I'll, I'll try to think of some other stuff, though, definitely before we get to Indianapolis. Looking around the rest of the Big Ten, you know, I think, you know, one thing that I'm kind of interested in is what it's like talking to Michigan players and Jim Harbaugh when the storyline isn't is this going to be the year you're finally going to beat Ohio state? Because since I've been covering Ohio state for 11 warriors, that's been the storyline every single year with Michigan is, is this finally going to be the year you end the drought? So now that they've ended the drought, it's going to be kind of interesting to, you know, talk to some of those guys about, you know, what they're trying to do to build momentum off that. And, you know, just kind of hear if, you know, maybe there's a little bit more, you know, outward confidence from those guys that, you know, they've turned the table against Ohio state. It seems like they always say something between the players and, and Jim Harbaugh. They always say something that gets Ohio state fans riled up. And the fact that they have four players there, in addition to Jim Harbaugh would increase the odds that they're going to say something that will rile Ohio state fans up. Granted, with the way this rivalry is right now, I'm sure somebody from Ohio State will say something that riles Michigan fans up next week, too. So that's always fun. I'm sure, you know, it doesn't take much to rile those two fan bases up when it comes to the rivalry. And so I'm sure that will be a part of what we see next week. The other thing that just jumps out to me when I look at the list of players attending media days is I'm sure Jim Tressel would love it that Rutgers is bringing a punter to Big Ten Media Days. Adam Corsack, who is a valid choice. I mean, if he's he probably is one of their three best players. I mean, he's he's one of the better punters in the country. So it's pretty cool for him that he gets the opportunity to represent Rutgers at Big Ten Media Days. But also kind of funny that Rutgers is bringing a punter to Big Ten Media Days. 
Yeah, I don't think the the media turnout at that podium is going to look quite like the CJ Stroud or Jackson Smith and Jigba contingents there at all. But, man, but we, punters we, are people too, man. Yeah. <laughs> but no, to your point about the Ohio State Michigan thing, I mean, would this not be the year like that that something would happen because you think about years re- recent years past and you know for Michigan uh, the team that's you know lost a year in, year in and year out in the rivalry, you, you don't really have any leverage to to kind of say anything all that inflammatory. And then on Ohio state side as well, like when you're the team that's won so many years in a row, like, you know, you can't really say any, like you, you, you seem like a, a bully almost saying something too, too inflammatory or about that, you know, in, in that type of setting. But this year, I mean, Michigan now has the, the leverage to say, listen, like we we've gotten these questions, you know, every year of big 10 media days, not that it's the same people necessarily, but you know, I, I think there's, higher a higher chance that we get something like that as you mentioned then of course from ohio state's perspective too the chip on their shoulder the fact that you know the the expectation is to win that game every year i could definitely see somebody saying something that will certainly get somebody else riled up also you know wisconsin as well with that being a a big matchup for house state this year you know paul christ really typically doesn't say anything too earth shattering so i don't know if he's going to say anything you know all that crazy but that'll be interesting too to kind of talk to those guys, given that it's a, a pretty early season matchup there between Ohio State and Wisconsin. I'm absolutely envisioning the headlines from certain Michigan websites next Wednesday. It'll be, you know, along the lines of Ryan Day still can't get over the Michigan loss when he gives some milk toast response to a question about Michigan that will undoubtedly, you know, get will undoubtedly have Michigan fans saying that the loss broke Ohio State because <laughs> I've seen a lot of those headlines over the past, was it eight months now, even a lot of times in, in response to quotes that in, in my mind, were not very inflammatory at all, but you know, that's kind of a way it goes in a rivalry. I mean, I, Ohio state fans have pounced on everything Michigan players have said for the past decade of, of dominance. And so now it goes the other way where, you know, if, if an Ohio state player says anything that can even remotely be construed as an excuse for that game, Michigan fans are going to pounce on it. Yeah, 100%. Anyone else, Dan, as we wrap up our, our kind of conversation and preview about Big Ten Media Days that you're, you're kind of looking forward to or will have an eye on next week when we head to Indy? The St. Elmo's it will be calling our name for sure. I'm sure you're excited about that. Yeah, that will be fun. Yeah, get, get some St. Elmo's or Harry and Izzy's, get some shrimp cocktail and a, and a good meal. That's always a highlight of going to Indianapolis. And I, I'm personally, it's, it'd probably be a controversial opinion among our staff because I think like half of 11 Warriors staff at this point has lived in Chicago at some point in their lives. But personally, I'm a big fan of Big Ten Media Days being in Indianapolis, having it be in a city that for one is half half as far away a a three-hour drive instead of a six-hour drive is a nice plus and i just like indianapolis it's a city that you know we we've become accustomed to making annual trips to with ohio state making the big 10 championship game in most years you know nfl scouting combine big 10 basketball tournament is there as well there's often a you know two or three reasons a year for us to go to indianapolis and personally I'm fine with getting one more trip to Indianapolis in because it's a city that I enjoy. And like I said, it's a, it's a little bit easier to travel to when you only have to drive three hours instead of six hours. Yeah. Dan, let's get into some recruiting talk here because you know, the, the commitments keep rolling in for the Buckeyes here in recent weeks, <clears throat> obviously, you know, the, the, the three huge wide receiver commitments that the Brian Hartline landed, you know, several weeks ago, we've talked about that, you know, quite a bit. After that, we had the three cornerback commitments. Me, me and Garrick were talking about that recently on this podcast while Dan was out. But even more recently than that, you know, you have, you have Miles Walker, Jason Moore, and Jelani Thurman here in you know the, the past few days and, and weeks and whatnot. You know, what do you make of, of, of kind of the, the role Ohio State's recruiting has been on, Dan? Obviously, there's kind of a back and forth going on with Notre Dame for the, the number one overall class in 2023, which, of course, you know, is only fitting given that the first game of the season for Ohio State, of course, is the fighting Irish here as their, their offseason battles, you know, continue in more ways than one. But, the, you know, Ohio State has also had a couple of kind of big misses here on the recruiting trail as well with guys that, 
are, are names that I, I'm sure a lot of fans thought would, would end up, you know, coming to Ohio State eventually. Uh, what do you make of, of kind of the recent developments in that regard, Dan? Yeah, if you look at what Ohio State has done, you know, over the last month, Ohio State has landed nine commitments now in the last month. We've started that off with a run of three wide receivers, Carnell Tate, Brandon Anderson, Noah Rogers, followed that up with a run of three cornerbacks, Kay and Lee, Calvin Simpson Hunt, and Jermaine Matthews, and then most recently landed commitments from offensive tackle Miles Walker, defensive end Jason Moore, and tight end Jelani Furman. So as of this morning, 24-7 sports is composite, still had Ohio State as the number one team in the 2023 class. I believe on three might have moved Ohio State back down to number two with Notre Dame number one, but really a neck and neck race. It's really been, you know, one of those teams lands a commitment and they move in front of the other. Maybe everyone lands a commitment and it moves back in front. So, you know, really a neck and neck race between you know, those two schools right now to be the number one team in the class, obviously still a long way to go, you know, that to change. I mean, you look at a school like Alabama, they currently have the highest prospect average in the class, but only 12 commits. So they could easily end up vaulting to the top of a rankings by the time this is all said and done. You know, you have teams like Georgia, Clemson, but also have, you know, high average averages that are are lurking there as well. But certainly, you know, I think all in all, Ohio State is in a strong position with this class, a really strong position with this class to have 19 players already committed. You know, there's really only about, you know, five, five to seven slots left to fill at this point, I would say. And to be sitting in the number one spot in the rankings. I mean, you look at the players that they have committed, all but two of them are either four or five-star recruits ranked in the top 300 in the country. And so this is another class for, for Ryan Day and his staff that is loaded with a lot of high-quality talent and you know a lot of you know highly coveted players across a variety of positions. And yet... I feel like at least in the past few days or so, if you go and you look at the recruiting message boards, there's a good amount of negativity from the Ohio State, you know, fans who follow recruiting very closely. And that's because, you know, there there have been a, a few notable misses for Ohio State here, either that have happened recently or maybe starting to be anticipated that will happen. I think the most notable one came on Monday when Tackett Curtis committed to USC. And I think that one stings in particular because Jim Knowles did not exactly make it a secret that he was prioritizing Tackett Curtis as Ohio State's top linebacker target in the 2023 class. He he made four trips down to Louisiana to go visit Tackett Curtis. So that was a player that Ohio State really, really wanted. I think it's safe to say Curtis was the top guy that Jim Knowles wanted at linebacker in this recruiting class. And so to miss out on him, especially after Troy Bowles committed to Georgia just two days earlier, I think linebacker is a concern in this class. You know, I think Ohio State is still sitting in a really good position to land Arvell Reese, in-state linebacker from Glenville. And so, you know, it as long as they can secure his commitment, you know, that's one, you know, high caliber linebacker prospect that Ohio State should land in this class. But I do think there's a question mark now of, okay, who else might they be able to get at linebacker in this class? Because they haven't cast a particularly wide net at that position. You know, they're probably only looking for two linebackers in this class, but I think certainly they felt optimistic that one of those linebackers would be Tackett Curtis and that the other one might be Arvell Reese. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, who might emerge as a target now. You know, do they do they look at, you know, an in-state guy like a Nigel Glover who recently committed to Northwestern? You know, do they maybe try to get in that recruitment? You know, can they make up ground on Texas for a guy like Darion Goulet, who they hosted for an official visit? in June. Uh, there's going to be some work to do there for Jim Knowles and his staff. I'm sure they're going to put the full court press on Arvell Reese at this point to try to ensure that you know they're able to land him, but certainly some work to do at that linebacker position 
You know, I think a few other positions that you look at right now, or there is some work to do, you know, offensive tackles one bit. I know Garrick's talked a lot about every single time he's been on this show and Olas Alanen, their top target right now at offensive tackle. He is slated to commit on Friday. The momentum at this point seems to be in favor of Miami in that recruitment. And so if they miss out on him, that's another position where they have to go back to the drawing board a little bit. There are still a couple targets out there on the offensive line. I'm going to look up his name real quick so I don't butcher it. But Oluwatosin Babalade, offensive tackle from DeMatha Catholic, same high school as Jason Moore out in Maryland. He's expected to commit at the end of a month. He's a guy that they could maybe still have a shot at, though they haven't prioritized him as highly as Olas Allenen. Uh, Monroe Freeling uh, from South Carolina, he's a top 60 guy that Ohio State also might you know, be able to make a run at. And so you know, that's certainly another position where they might have to you know, put a little more emphasis on recruiting a couple other guys since it doesn't look particularly likely right now that they will land Olas Allenen. You know, Ohio State did also miss out on their top remaining running back target when, and a bit of a surprise, Justice Haynes committed to Alabama on Sunday. Most people thought that he would end up at Georgia because his father played at Georgia, but he ended up committing to a Crimson Tide instead. And so, you know, that kind of takes Ohio State's top remaining target at running back off the board. It'll be interesting to see again there, do they cast their net a little wider and and try to get a second running back or are, are they content to just sit with Mark Fletcher as their running back for the 2023 class? And then, you know, the guy who's, I think, the number one target still on the board for Ohio State at this point is Caleb Downs. And I know that that's one that has generated some angst among Ohio State fans recently because there have been some crystal balls placed in Alabama's favor for him. But, you know, he's insisted on, on social media that he has not made a decision yet, that he won't make a decision until he actually makes his announcement. So I don't think that one's over yet. I mean, I think. You know, Alabama might have a momentum. You know, Georgia's still in that race, too, of him being a Georgia guy. But I think Ohio State still has a chance of that one. I mean, Ohio State's probably not the front runner as maybe they looked to be a few weeks ago. But I think Ohio State still has a chance of that recruitment. So I don't think that Ohio State fans should give up on Caleb Downs just yet. But I think it's a combination of all those guys that have kind of led to some angst from Ohio State fans about recruiting, even though Ohio State right now is ranked number one in the composite team rankings for the 2023 class. Yeah, let's be honest, and Ohio State fans get, can get a little spoiled with some of these things. I mean, you know, it wasn't long ago that you have five-star guys raining from the skies, you know, Brian Hartline getting some of these guys. But I think, honestly, I don't know quite how concerning it is, but I know, you know, it, it, it was something of a concern, or at least a question for some of those new coaches coming in for Ohio State. You talked about Jim Knowles, talked about Justin Fry, especially with Justin Fry, because, you know, that was kind of one of the, the gripes about Greg Studrawa four years was not being able to land some of these huge offensive line prospects. And like you alluded to before as well, you know, Garrick said when we, when we did a podcast with him before Ohio State's, you know, high school camp season started in, in, in June that he thought uh, Allen was the the most important, you know, prospect for Ohio State to land this summer, I think he said. And, you know, if, if they don't end up landing him, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen the criticism for for Justin Fry a little bit, just because I know people, you know, with with Coach Stud and the things that that a lot of, you know, fans said about him. But yeah, I think, you know, like, like you said, it's probably a little bit overblown just because you look at what Ohio State's recruiting class is still ranked. But at the same time, some of those names were definitely guys that I think fans and and us too probably were expecting to probably end up in Scarlet and Gray. Yeah. I mean, I think there's always a sense it's probably true of this, this just the season as well, but I think particularly in recruiting, there's always kind of a, the moods of fans can shift from day to day just based on whatever has happened most recently. And so, you know, I think if you take a step back just from an objective point of view, and you just look at it from a widespread national perspective, like Ohio State's doing pretty good in recruiting right now. I mean, they've, again, they've landed nine players in the last month, and 
they have a class that's currently ranked number one in the nation. So I think Ohio State is putting together a really strong class. And I think, you know, that's going to continue to be the case. You know, that's not to say that there aren't some positions of concern still here. I think particularly now linebacker and offensive tackle, you know, I mean, you know, safety as well. If they don't land Caleb Downs, you know, I think, you know, Jaden Vonsu was a guy who was, who was, you know, looked like an Ohio State lean at one point. Now he's considered to be a Miami lean. And so there, there are some guys that Ohio State has, you know, fallen back on. But I think, you know, it's also important to keep in perspective that there's also guys that they've quickly turned the tables on, like Jason Moore. I mean, Jason Moore, a lot of people thought a month ago that he was going to end up at Notre Dame and he ends up at Ohio State. You know, Jelani Furman's not a guy that I heard a ton of buzz about Ohio State on until really the last month or two. And, and he just committed to Ohio State. You know, Miles Walker, you know, obviously his rating might not excite people as a freestar guy, but he's a guy who got a lot of offers in recent months. And, and Ohio State, you know, entered that recruitment later than some other big schools and they quickly moved to the top of his recruitment and landed his commitment. I mean, Jermaine Matthews is a guy who, you know, was probably leaning towards Cincinnati a month ago and uh, Ohio state, you know, got into that recruitment after he camped at Ohio state and quickly moved to the top of a list, secured his commitment. I mean, Calvin Simpson hunts another guy that, you know, he was committed to Texas tech and Ohio state got into that recruitment a little later and was able to flip his commitment. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's, you know, it's important you know, I, I, you know, I think the one thing that, that, that I see that makes me shake some, my head sometimes is I think some, sometimes, you know, one player decides to commit elsewhere and then fans will make blanket statements about Ohio State recruiting. Like, you know, I, I've seen some of the comments about there about how Ryan Day can't recruit defensive players. And like, it's pretty ridiculous, right? I mean, last year, they landed CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles. I mean, the year before that, they landed Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimolawau. You know, so I, I think, you know, acting like Ohio State has not been landing any top flight defensive recruits under Ryan Days is, I think that's a pretty ridiculous comment to make. Now, I think it's fair to say that his offensive recruiting has outpaced his defensive recruiting. I think it's fair to say that you know, there's, there's some ground they need to make up at some positions on defense, you know, same, same thing with the offensive line. I think, you know, certainly the offensive line recruiting has not been quite where it needs to be the last couple of years. That's why Greg Stadrawa is no longer at Ohio state. And so, you know, Justin Fry, you know, maybe his most important job is getting offensive line recruitment, you know, back up to that elite level. And, you know, right now you can't say that's, happened yet you know at least you know in terms of recruiting out of state guys you know right now that hasn't happened yet now i'd I'd also say when we talk about you know new coaches that in my mind it's too early to make any jump to any conclusions about any of the new coaches and how they are as recruiters because they haven't even completed a single recruiting cycle yet so you know i i think it's way too early if if, if people are saying, oh, this guy's not a good recruiter, you know, it, it's been not even seven months yet. So I would relax before you jump to any conclusions about, you know, anybody as a recruiter. I mean, I, I, I certainly give Tim Walton credit for, for the work he's done landing four cornerbacks and having all of them committed by July. I, I think Tim Walton's done a really good job uh, in assembling his first class at Ohio State. You know, I think, you know, guys like Jim Knowles and Justin Fry, you know, still have more to prove at this point, but, you know, I, I still think it's too early to, you know, start saying that anybody is a, you know, pad recruiter based off of six to seven months on the job. Another polarizing topic, Dan, if not quite as consequential uniforms, right? Ohio State's alternate uniforms. We've gotten some news about this over the past couple of weeks here as Ohio State is, has announced it's like themes and promotions for home games month by month at the Horseshoe. And two of those have been that the, the Wisconsin game will be a blackout theme at, at, at you know Ohio Stadium 
And then for the Iowa game, it'll be a scarlet out, which and they didn't announce specifically that the team would be wearing, you know, XYZ uniforms, but you can pretty much, you know, assume that the blackout game would mean that the Buckeyes will be wearing their, their all black alternates, you know, on the field. And then obviously in the scarlet out game, Ohio State just debuted those, those all scarlet uniforms last season against Penn State, I believe it was, Dan. Well, you know, what are your thoughts on those uniforms? You know, is, is this something that should, is this something that gets you excited, first of all, I guess? And then, you know, how do you think, you know, fans should react? Which, which of those two uniforms do you like better? And, you know, where do they rank kind of, I guess, for you in terms of Ohio State's recent alternate uniforms? Yeah, I don't know if they necessarily get me excited per se, but, you know, I have nothing against them. I mean, I think it's, yeah, I think it's kind of fun when you have, you know, different, different uniform combinations. You know, I know that, you know, there's many purists out there who just want to see them wear their traditional uniforms every game. And, and I get that because I do think Ohio State's traditional uniforms, you know, carry so much tradition and they are some of the best uniforms out there. So I, I, I definitely get why there are people who would just rather see them wear the traditional uniforms every game. But, you know, I, I think alternate uniforms are fun. You know, I think if we're talking about the black uniforms or the all scarlet, you know, maybe they break out the all white uniforms at some point for a road game. You know, I think those are, they're, they're, those are all pretty small variations on what the traditional uniform is. And that seems to be the route Ohio state has gone here in recent years. You know, we saw some kind of crazier stuff there and kind of a mid 2010s, like even you know, the, the cannonball helmets and the, the land of the wolves uniforms, which they wore in that big Penn state comeback game. You know, it seems like in recent years, they've, they've kind of gone more toward, you know, kind of keeping the general, you know, theme of the normal uniforms, but just kind of adding some tweaks to them, which I, which I kind of like, I mean, I, I, you know, it's not quite as maybe quote unquote exciting as like an Oregon that does all these crazy things with its uniforms. But I think for Ohio state with all the tradition that it has with its regular uniforms, that it makes sense to not do anything too crazy with them. And what do you think Griffin? Okay. I, I, I have to say, I just, I'm not the biggest fan of the all black Ohio state alternate uniform, just because there's something with the way that like the white, like stripes on, on the pants and the like white, kind of outlines on the, on the number. I, don't, I, don't, I just don't love them personally, you know, and they've, they've had those ones now for since when, like 2015 or something was when they first debuted those. And like, they, they haven't really been updated at all. Right. So it's pretty much the same exact look. And it's like, that's a, I don't know. It's a long time to have like a one alternate that you go back to. So I really don't love those ones when I, when I just look at them aesthetically, I think the Scarlet out is a decent look. And you know, I actually like some of the, the 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 weirder looks you know from past years like for example the one the one you mentioned in the, the the Penn State home game in in 2017 I actually really liked the the way that looked and then there was the the that one Michigan game was it I think it was the 2016 Michigan game as a matter of fact with like the like the matte black helmet and everything like that I'm I'm scrolling through here to make sure I'm not completely talking yeah yeah the yes the the famous overtime Michigan game Curtis Samuel the cannonball helmet. Yes. Yep. Yes. I really like that look actually, but you know, I, I do think, like you said, that with the traditions of the uniforms and everything getting too crazy, especially I, I honestly could pass on doing like crazy alternates specifically in the Michigan game. Cause like that, that is such a, a traditional game, you know, and then and just, there's something about the, the regular uniforms for both of those teams, seeing those on the field at like, you know, it's, it's very classic. I don't think you have to kind of mess with that formula by, having them wear strange uniform combinations and stuff. I, I, you know, it adds some it adds some excitement in general for some of these games. I, I do think the all whites and the all reds look better than the all black, but I also wouldn't mind seeing them, you know, try instead of maybe the all black or, or all red or all white, you know, try some, some, some new things as well that, that have a little more creativity akin to some of the stuff they've done in the past, if not quite as out there. Yeah, I agree with you on the Ohio State-Michigan game, though I would like to see them take a page from the USC-UCLA rivalry that they're now bringing into the conference, and I'd like to see them both wear the colored uniforms for a game. I think that would be that would be cool. I agree with not, like, I, personally, I wasn't a big fan of the Cannonball uniforms. They just, they just didn't do it for me. And I agree, I, I don't really like, 
Iver team going with some weird, you know, it's fine if it's just like small, like I think like, you know, Michigan's done different pants colors and stuff like that. Small variations are fine, but I, I do like the traditional uniforms going head to head in that game, not doing anything too crazy, you know, just because there's so much history in it. Another thing that I know a lot of fans really like are the gray sleeves on the uniforms. Taraja Mitchell had a tweet last week about saying, you know, it was basically, you know, it was basically, you know, kind of hinting at, you know, alternate uniforms as well as gray sleeves. And, you know, I know there's a lot of people that want the gray sleeves to be back as a permanent part of a uniform. Recently, Ohio state has only broken those out for the college football playoff games. And, I don't know. I, I kind of like that. I kind of like them being like a, a CFP games only thing. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what your thought on that is Griffin. Like to me, like the gray sleeves are fine. If they want to make them back on the jerseys permanently, like cool. Like I don't think they're bad, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not one of those people who gets like super excited about the gray sleeves. How about you? I mean, honestly, like it's one of those things where if you're not like paying a whole lot of attention to, you know, the small details of the uniforms, you're just like, wait, like, and, and someone like says that to, you know, a fan or something, they're, like, they're going to be like, gray sleeves. Like, what do you mean? Like, don't they have grace? You know what I mean? Like, it's something that people probably aren't paying a whole lot of attention to unless you're, you know, a, a big fan. I know a lot of people do, but, you know, you know, when I look at it side by side, I'm, I do think the gray sleeves look better. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, if it looks better, like, let's just have the gray sleeves on there. All the time, I would I would certainly not mind bringing the gray sleeves back because I do think it's a better look. Griffin, I know that you were back at the Kingdom League this past weekend watching some current and former Ohio State players in action. Which Buckeye player from your trips to the Kingdom Leagues this summer, and we're talking basketball now to be clear, has impressed you the most? Yeah, Dan, I, number one would have to be Bryce Sensabaugh, who and we, t- we touched on that performance a little bit on this podcast before when I was on here with Garrick, because he is the you know incoming freshman guard slash forward. He was really playing more of a combo guard in that game. He dropped like 51 points. So there was a, a couple conflicting point totals there. I think <laughs> I think people tended to land on 51 there for his 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 final point total. And his game just translated so well to that setting that summer league setting where you know there's a guy on a microphone that's giving every player nicknames and an mc the whole time like that kind of like a rucker park feel his game is definitely geared towards that it's 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 very like highlight play centric and i think that's you know when chris holman was comparing him to Dwayne washington i think we may see bryce sensible kind of make some ill-advised shot attempts, maybe like the, a, a, a very deep three or, you know, something like that. But, but he was on in, in that, in that one game a couple of weeks ago on July 3rd, you know, and he was going head to head with, with Trey Burke and Andre West. And it wasn't like he was going up there playing against like, you know, high school kids or something. And, and, and you know, he put up 50 points. That was by far the most impressive thing I've seen after that. I've got to tell you, I mean, I used to watch Jared Sullinger, man, at, at Northland on, at the fairgrounds back in the day. Well before I imagined I'd be doing this for a job. Now I'm getting to see Jared Sullinger, you know, play and, and talk and interview him, you know, after the after these games too. He just dropped like 35 points in the game on, on Sunday that I watched him play. He is like he he's that's probably the second most impressive thing I've I've seen is is just the fact that he can still do that, you know, even though you know sometimes the opposing teams might not have quite the big to be able to handle his his size down low. But he's playing point guard sometimes. He's like no look passes, turnaround shots, like a buzzer beater three in that game. You know, d- dishing off assists, extremely impressive stuff. And it's it's cool to still see a guy like that. He has a ton of fun out there too. Like he he's not necessarily taking it super seriously, but he's doing a lot of kind of dancing and, and hamming it up for the crowd a little bit too. So that is very fun to see. I would also throw on that list. I thought Bruce Thornton impressed me in terms of the way he was able to, to control the game that I saw him play at the point guard position. He was knocking down threes. It looks like he's going to be a, a a tough guy to keep out of the paint if he wants to go to the hole. He's he's like, the, the nickname they were giving him was Big Muscle. And he's just like very <laughs> kind of, he's very kind of stocky and, and quick twitch, I think. And a guy that, you know, would probably be a, a good like running back or something like that in terms of a guy that w- would be tough to, to keep out of the paint there. It's been fun though, Dan. I don't know how much how much tolerance you have for like six six straight hours of 
of listening to the guy on the microphone screaming your ear. Like as I'm like, I gotta sip out for a few minutes. Like the the the, the incessant screaming on the microphone gets to be a lot at some points, but it, it's been very fun, I would say. Yeah, I've never been to the Kingdom League. I'll, if Dewan Jones actually gets a successful petition to play in the Kingdom League, then I will have to make a trip out there. But glad that you've been going, getting a look at the team. I mean, hey, no Carmen's crew on a TBT this year. If you want to see Jared Sellinger ball it up this summer, you've, you've got to get out to the Kingdom League. And I, and I do want to I do want to say, I, I wasn't on the podcast last time when you guys were talking about Bryce Sensabaugh, but I do want to say, when we were talking about freshman months ago, I, I, I was saying then, I said, I feel like everybody's sleeping on Bryce Sensabaugh. Like, I, I, I just want to make clear, like, I, I've, I've, I've tried to be on that train early of Bryce Sensabaugh. Like, I, I, think, I think Bryce Sensabaugh has been slept on a little bit because he wasn't as highly ranked as some of the other guys in that class early on. But I'm going to, I'll go ahead and throw up this prediction there right now. I think Bryce Sensabaugh will score the most points among the four freshmen this year. I like that prediction. You know, Jack Owens even said like he thinks Bryce Sensabaugh could eventually be a, a leading scorer on Ohio State's roster. You know, probably not this, maybe this season. Who knows? There's so many unknowns of this roster. You know, he could end up being a the, the leading scorer on the entire team. Who knows? We have been wondering. You know, who's going to be that top option for the team scoring wise? He's a, he's a very natural scorer. But it is interesting, like you said, because a guy like Roddy Gale now, who's who's had some injury issues this offseason, You know, him not playing in the in the Kingdom League and everything like that. I feel like that's a name that people are probably going to be forgetting about by the time the season starts because we've we've seen you know these clips of Bryce Sensabaugh and obviously Bruce Thornton for a long time was the top rated guy in that class. Now, Griffin, have you talked our bosses at Eleven Warriors yet into sending you to the Bahamas in a couple of weeks? I have not tried to make that play because I, I assumed it would, it would fall, that type of request would fall on deaf ears. I do wish I was going. I have been to the Atlantis Resort in the Bahamas before when I was very young with, with my dad and my sister back in the day. I, st- I still have some good memories from that, although not very many. But yeah, Ohio State is going to play a couple exhibition games during their, their summer trip to the Bahamas in the Atlantis Resort. They're actually playing. I think it's kind of interesting that they're they're playing the Puerto Rican and Egyptian national basketball teams as, as some of their competition. I kind of had assumed because there are a couple other programs, college basketball programs going to the Bahamas this summer. I just assumed like Ohio State would be playing those teams, but it turns out they're, they're getting to play some, some international competition. And I think it's like, it's pretty valuable for this team, given that like the guys just haven't really, not many of the guys have actually played together. You've got eight new scholarship additions with five freshmen, three transfer additions coming in, you know, even some of the guys that are, you know, returning like a, a justice suing and whatnot, who's I think health is still in question at the moment, but you know, he didn't really even play last year either, you know? So it's, it's a lot of guys who, who need the experience on court together. The chemistry needs to be built there. Unfortunately, those games won't be able, we won't be able to see those games you know, unless that, you know, Jason and company want to send me to the Bahamas, but it's, it'll, it'll be cool to hear how those went. I know Adam Jardy from the dispatch will be there to watch those games. So maybe I will, I'll check in with him to see, you know, what went on in some of those contests. Yeah. It, it is unfortunate that those games won't be televised or streamed because I, I think it would have been very interesting for us to just get to watch those games and, you know, just kind of see so many of these guys in action together as a team for the first time. But no doubt. I think this is really a valuable opportunity for this team, probably more so than it would be in most years. And it's, it's not, it's re- really not, I don't think important, like whether they win those games or what anybody's stats are or anything like that. But I think just the fact that it's going to be an opportunity for those guys to spend some time together to bond as a team. Cause I, I, I remember, I think it was Felix Akpara who you talk to and and he admitted that, you know, the chemistry is not great right now because they're all just getting to know each other. But I think that going on a trip like that together, playing some exhibition games together with having so many new faces on the team, I think that'll be a great opportunity for them to get some valuable experience playing together, start to really develop that chemistry with one another and in turn, you know, that that could help them as they start building up toward this season. A couple of recruiting notes here 
Devin in, in the 2023 class in particular, and pretty much at the same position at the small forward position, two of Ohio State's top targets, perhaps their two top targets, Devin Royal out of Pickington Central, the Columbus native, of course, just put Ohio State in his top nine schools along with Michigan State, Michigan, what was it? Clemson, Alabama, Marquette, maybe a couple others that I'm forgetting there as well. Miami was in that on that list as well. It was more schools than I kind of thought it would be because I've kind of been thinking of that race as potentially being like Ohio State versus Michigan State for Royal. You know, I could be a little bit off on that, but that's just how, you know, I've kind of read the tea leaves there. Not sure when he, when exactly he's going to commit, but he has, you know, kind of held fast that he's going to commit before the beginning of his senior season at Pickerington Central. That would be a huge get for Ohio State. Scotty Middleton is another guy that, you know, I haven't written about as much on our site just because Devin Royal being a Columbus native, he's been around a lot more. I did get to talk to Middleton back. What was it in, in April or whatever that was for the, in the EYBL in Indianapolis. Um, He's a guy, a number 36 rated player in the class, a four-star guy at small forward, one of the best defenders in the 2023 class. He announced that he will be committing on August 6th. He's had Ohio state in his top five for a little while now. And, you know, I've, I've kind of been told that that Ohio State is is definitely in the mix for Middleton, despite the fact that, you know, some fans might not be as familiar with him as some of these local guys. But but that's that's two two guys that Ohio State would love to have. I know, you know, Ohio State already has two commits in the class of George Washington and Austin Parks. I think they they want like two more guys, though, they, they would take, you know, after if, if they were to land one of those two guys, they would still be open to another guy at maybe the three or four position from what I've been told. Some unfortunate news for a couple of Ohio State basketball alumni over the past week, particularly for EJ Liddell, who tore his ACL playing in the summer league for the New Orleans Pelicans, which is something you just hate to see. I mean, to see a guy suffer an injury in a summer league game, no matter who it is. And, you know, certainly for, you know, EJ, I think that one's, you know, really, really sad to see for a lot of Ohio State fans with you know, the great career he had and the, the way that he's always, you know, handled himself both on and off the court, you know, a really tough break for him, especially after falling to the second round of the NBA draft. I don't think he'd even signed a contract yet. And then, you know, to have this happen in a summer league game, now he's going to have to overcome that adversity before ever even truly beginning his professional basketball career. So a big disappointment for him there for sure. And then also Dwayne Washington Jr. was was somewhat surprisingly, in my mind, waived by the Indiana Pacers last week. They did so as they were making an effort to sign DeAndre Ayton away from the Phoenix Suns. They had to clear up cap space to sign him to a massive offer sheet. And in order to do that, they ended up waiving Dwayne Washington. But you'd have to think Washington is going to get another chance somewhere, considering he did average nine points. 9.9 points per game when he played as a rookie. Yeah, he was a, a standout success story considering he went undrafted and, and started as a two-way guy, you know, playing in the in the G League and things of that nature. You know, his, his summer league stats really weren't very impressive to me, honestly. I thought maybe, you know, that would be a, you know, a, a setting for him to kind of to show like, yeah, I'm, I'm a guy that definitely belongs in the NBA now. You know, some of those shooting percentages from, from three and from the field reminded me of, of some of his his performances at Ohio State just in terms of a lot of shots, not a lot of makes sometimes, but, but in the NBA, he seemed to be having success. I'm sure he'll end up somewhere though, but yeah, definitely some unfortunate news for those guys. Dan, a couple of, of fun things here from our listeners that I think maybe we should close out on here. I'll start with this one. What what's one Ohio state football player and basketball player for that matter that you didn't see play live that you wish you could have seen. And that, that question is coming from us from Creek book. Yeah, that's a great question, especially for the two of us, since we're both young. So there are a lot of great Ohio State players that we have not, we did not have the opportunity to watch actually play in person during their careers. For football, I got to go for Orlando Pace. I mean, you just, and, and, and typically, I mean, I, I watched him play in the NFL. I saw some of his NFL games on TV while he was still playing, but I was, you know, very young when he was playing for Ohio State. And so I did not see his Ohio State career live, but you know, just to hear about the stories about the pancake man. And, you know, this was a guy who, you know, finished in the top 10 in the Heisman as an offensive lineman is widely regarded as Ohio state's greatest offensive lineman ever. I wish I could have seen him play 
during, you know, his Ohio state career live and in person and basketball. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to John Havlicek. Cause he's a guy that I heard a lot about growing up in Massachusetts of his great career for the Celtics. And, you know, I wasn't alive for any of that, whether playing at Ohio state or playing for the Celtics, but a guy who's one of the all-time greats in the sport of basketball. I wish I could have had an opportunity to have witnessed his career live because it was certainly a great one at all levels. Yeah, football-wise, obviously guys like Archie Griffin, Eddie George come to mind, Heisman Trophy winning, you know, running backs there. I got had those guys listed. I thought about Orlando Pace as well. What about a guy like Jack Tatum? You know, just the 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 way that he played, you know, defense, that, that safety position, everything like that, the the intensity and, and hard-hitting nature, that's a guy I would have loved to see play, especially when the, the rules were a little bit different, you know, not to to be gluttonous about the the violence and whatnot, but the, the rule set being different then and the style in which he played for sure. Basketball-wise, I had Jim Jackson, Michael Red, and then I said Jerry Lucas and John Havlicek as well. All of those guys are, are names you hear a lot, you know, uh, in terms of the Ohio State basketball program. Jerry Lucas, John Havlicek, Bob Knight, you know, that whole era would have definitely been cool to see the, the one national championship win as well. Running out of time here on this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesday. So I apologize to those of you who sent in questions that we haven't gotten to today. I know a few of you sent in questions that you're, you would like us to ask at Big Ten Media Days as well. So we will try to ask those questions for you guys. And, and we'll be back next week to talk about everything we learned in Indianapolis, both from the Ohio State players and everybody else who will be speaking at Big Ten Media Days as well. So stay tuned if 11 Warriors. Griffin and I will be there. Garrick Hodge will be out there with us as well as we will cover everything that happens in Big Ten Media Days. And we'll be back with you on Thursday next week for a fresh episode of, of Real Pod Wednesdays with everything we learn at Lucas Oil Stadium. So thanks again for listening in and we'll talk to you guys again next week.